readers, and welcome to episode 15 of Lost the Plot, the Tinted Edges monthly podcast all about books. I'm your host, Ang Harrod, and today we're going to be chatting with a special guest about a book art project I was involved in called Pulp Jar, and I've hinted about this one in the previous episode. But first, book updates. Way back in my first ever episode, I spoke about the art project The Future Library, which is where for 100 years, an author donates an unseen manuscript to be held in a forest in Norway until the unveiling in 2114. So that's one manuscript a year. This project, together with five other artworks, has now been gifted by the city of Oslo to the King and Queen of Norway to celebrate their joint 80th birthdays. That's one artwork for each grandchild. Another great little update is on the Lost Rocks art project being run by a published event that I've talked about in previous episodes. The Tasmanian art project is based around a rock board that was found at a tip shop with 40 of its 56 rock specimens missing. The project is to complete the rock board collection, but instead of replacing the rock specimens, novellas named after the missing rocks will be published. So, there is a lot of rock heritage in my family. My grandfather, my father, and now my sister are all geophysicists. And I have a lot of fond memories of my dad trying to get me enthusiastic about rocks when I was a kid. So there was something about this project that really appealed to me, but I couldn't quite put my finger on why until about a month ago when I started going through some boxes of my old stuff. And you might remember I was talking about some of the Harry Potter and Animorphs treasures that I found in the last episode. Well, I was going through another box and I found something that was instantly familiar to me. A little white box with the words Tasmania's Mineral Heritage written on the front with a picture of a miner in black. No way. Yes way. I opened up the box and it was my very own mini rock board, a collection of rock specimens that were clearly from Tasmania. The first rock was crocoid, which is the first book in the Lost Rocks series and the one that I bought. I posted some photos of my discovery on the Tinted Edges Facebook page to let Lost Rocks know about my little treasure and they were absolutely thrilled and wanted to know more information about where it had come from. So I did feel a little bit guilty because I'd kept it safe, but I had not kept it in great condition and the slightly battered box had actually some Lost Rocks of its own. So I tried to think of who gave them to me, but I couldn't recall if it was my dad or my granddad. So I had to email my dad to ask, well, did dad deliver? He told me all about this wonderful rock trip he took to Tasmania just after my little brother was born in October 2002. I would have been about four and a half. He bought me my little rock collection at a fantastic mining and rock museum in a town called Zeehan. He said the crocoite is one of the more famous minerals from that area, and he remembered seeing specimens there as high as his thigh. He also told me about a lovely old man that he met who was running a rock museum out of his garage full of rocks that he had traded at rock meets over the years. So the biggest news me is that I have been accepted into the ACT Literary Bloggers of the Future program with the ACT Writers Centre and the National Library of Australia. I'm going to be basically haunting the NLA for the rest of the year, going to even more events 
and you'll be able to find out more about it as I post on the Tinted Edges blog and the Capital Letters blog, which is the ACT Writers Center blog. Um, I'm also participating with another blogger called Emma Gibson, and I'm being mentored by the wonderful lady behind the book blog, Whispering Gums. I'm absolutely thrilled, and I can't wait to share more stories about the program as the year progresses. The 2017 Australian Book Industry Awards were announced this month, and Jane Harper won Fiction Book of the Year for her Aussie crime novel, The Dry. Singer Jimmy Barnes won Biography of the Year for his book, Working Class Boy, and Terry Denton won Audiobook of the Year and Book of the Year for Younger Children for his book, The 78-Story Treehouse. The 2017 Miles Franklin Award longlist has been announced, with the winner to be determined on the 18th of June. There are quite a few unfamiliar books on there, so I'm looking forward to adding some more to my list. And then Leah Purcell has won another award for her stage adaptation of Henry Lawson's The Drover's Wife and has picked up two prizes in the New South Wales Premier's Literary Awards. The story is recast with Aboriginal characters and will be touring nationally and I can't wait to go see it. So extremely rare pages believed to have been printed over 500 years ago by a William Caxton, the man who brought printing to England, have been discovered in the University of Reading. The pages are thought to have been printed in around 1476 or 1477 and contain religious text in medieval Latin. The pages are printed on either side of a single leaf of paper, which was being used to reinforce the spine of another book, and the only other pages known to be in existence are eight leaves held by the British Library. This single leaf is estimated to be worth £100,000 and is from a book called the Sarum Ordinal, which was kind of like a guidebook to tell priests about feast days of English saints, and it was originally published in the 11th century. This book was apparently also the first ever book to be featured in an advert, as Enterprising Caxton also printed his own flyers as well as books. In other British literary history, Australian author Wall Walker has written a book called Jane and Darcy that argues that Jane Austen had a, a, had a secret love for an Irish-born colonial Sydney doctor called Darcy Wentworth, and that he was the inspiration for her famous Pride and Prejudice character, Mr. Darcy. The article is a great read, and I won't deprive you of enjoying the detail, except to say that he's published one volume, and Walker has a second volume slated for release soon. In other Pride and Prejudice news, the property using, uh, used as the Bennett Manor from the BBC TV miniseries is up for sale. It's on the market for millions and would be an absolute dream come true for an Austin, or at least a Colin Firth fan. So, the next story may be upsetting for some, and discusses suicide and sexual assault, so please feel free to skip ahead a minute or two if you don't want to listen to this story. Taiwanese author Lin Yi Han committed suicide at the age of 26, just after the publication of her first novel, Fang Si Chi's First Love Paradise. The novel is about the grooming and eventual rape of a 13-year-old student by her teacher. After Lin Yi Han's death, her family released a statement alleging that the events in the book really happened, which has since sparked a national outrage in Taiwan. I've linked the story in the show notes together with some resources to access if you or anyone you know is thinking about suicide. There's been quite a bit of author controversy the past month. 
N.K. Jemison, winner of last year's Hugo Award for her novel The Fifth Season, was subject um, to was the subject of what some might consider to be the worst interview of all time. I won't spoil the fun, so if you're interested in reading something super cringeworthy, you can check out the whole story, Twitter links and all, in the show notes. I've also linked an archived version of the article in question, so you don't have to give the interviewer one of your precious clicks. Man Booker Prize winning author Paul Beattie also found himself at the centre of an awkward author interview at the Sydney Writers' Festival. Radio National host Michael Cathcart didn't make much of an impression with his audience or his guest while he was interviewing the prize-winning author. Described as tone-deaf, you can check out excerpts from the interview if you feel like you need tips on how not to interview an award-winning African-American author. So there's only a little bit of library news this month. The Australian Library and Information Association has released its list of most borrowed books in Australia with crime fiction absolutely cleaning up. At the top of the list was Make Me by Lee Childs, and the top, ki- the top kids' book was Diary of a Wimpy Kid, The Long Haul by Jeff Kinney. You can check out the full list below. So a street library in Thornley that was threatened with being shut down has survived after residents have rallied against the Hornsby Council. After one single hater made a complaint about the community library which was tucked away in a laneway, street librarian Dr. Sarah Wayland was threatened with a $500 fine if she didn't remove it. Hornsby Council have since reconsidered, and the street library thankfully is there to stay. It just goes to show that not all complaints are created equal. Okay, so we have a title, an extract, and a release date for the new Philip Pullman book, the first in his trilogy set in the same universe as the His Dark Materials series. The publication date for the Book of Dust is the 19th of October, and it looks like it's going to be demons and intrigue in Lyra's Oxford all over again. Arundhati Roy has published her second novel, The Ministry of Utmost Happiness, 20 years after the release of her acclaimed novel, The God of Small Things. A much bigger novel, this one is about a transgender woman in India. And look, I wasn't the biggest fan of God of Small Things, but I'm nevertheless very interested to give this one a go. Another book I'm keen to get my hands on is a young adult novel called When Michael Met Mina by Randa Abdel Fattah, a young adult romance about two teens on either side of an anti-refugee protest um, set in Australia. Abdel Fattah wrote the book while she was researching Islamophobia for her PhD thesis. So the trailer has been released for the TV adaptation, sorry, no, that's the movie adaptation of Stephen King's The Dark Tower. I haven't actually read the fantasy series, but my partner has informed me that he has some serious reservations about how true the movie is going to be to the books. And then, ridiculously, it's been announced that George R.R. Martin has been working with screenwriters on five, yes, Five spin-offs announced from the Game of Thrones TV series, which is based on the Song of Ice and Fire book series, which he hasn't even finished. So all five are prequels to the events in Game of Thrones, and unsurprisingly, there has been quite a bit of ire from fans who are still waiting for Martin to finish book six of the seven-book series. Martin himself has admitted that the screenplays are taking a lot of time away from his novel, surprise, surprise, and there's no guarantee that they'll even make it on screen. 
So, of course, some obligatory Harry Potter news. And uh, there's quite a bit of Harry Potter news this month. Actually, sometimes I think I should make a whole section just for Harry Potter. Anyway, so Pottermore, the um, online, the Harry Potter fan website, has announced that there is going to be a Pottermore book club to celebrate the 20th anniversary of Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, which I'll be talking more about next month. However, apart from suggesting that people reread the books together and that there will be a launch sometime in June, the site has been very vague about what it will actually involve. Interestingly, there's been an overlap between Harry Potter and book crime this month. An 800-word handwritten Harry Potter prequel has been stolen from a property in Birmingham, UK in April. Um, the story, which is written on two sides of an A5-sized postcard was sold at a charity auction for around $43,000 with proceeds going to English Pen which is a dyslexia organization. It was apparently stolen together with some jewelry and the untitled prequel tells a short story about Sirius Black and James Potter escaping some muggle policemen after speeding on a motorcycle. Um, police and JK Rowling appreciating the value that this story will have to fans are appealing for them not to buy it if they are offered it. Um, so this is not the only Harry Potter story this month involving police. Uh, British Transport Police have issued a public warning to Harry Potter fans who are trying to visit one of the most memorable landmarks from the films. The Glenfinnan Viaduct in the Scottish Highlands has apparently had a 16% increase in trespass offences as fans climb the railroad the Hogwarts Express famously crosses. Sergeant Kevin Lawrence said... Much as we love Harry Potter, I would like to remind everyone that we are mere muggles, and if you trespass on the railway and are struck by a train, the consequences could be extremely serious and probably fatal. So there were a lot of book events that were going on in Canberra, and I'll just quickly touch on a few really cute ones. Um, one was that I stumbled across an adorable little book fair held by the Canberra and District Historical Society. I actually would have completely missed it, except that I saw something about it in an email at work. The society is just at the curtain shops, and they had wine and cheese, as well as plenty of books to buy. I picked up a book for my grandma about the history of our family in Duntroon. Uh, the first Saturday in May was Free Comic Book Day, hosted by Impact Comics in Civic. I wasn't quite on my game that morning, and so I didn't get there early enough to win a lucky door prize, but I did get my free... Uh, my four free comics. There were a couple of author events going on as well. There was father-daughter duo Meg and Tom Keneally who were talking at the National Library about their new book. Um, there was also the stunning Genevieve Chang who was talking about her book The Good Girl from Chinatown and doing a bit of spoken word at Muse Bookshop in Kingston. However, the biggest event was definitely Noted Festival and I went along to the festival launch, the launch of the Canberra Women Writers Network, but, of course, the biggest part uh, of the festival for me and the theme of today's episode is, of course, Popture. So we're here this morning and it's very cold and it's very foggy and we're going to be chatting with Leslie who runs the independent publisher Blemish Books. Thanks for being here, Leslie. Thanks. Thanks for having me. <laughs> so do you want to tell us a little bit about how Blem Blemish Books came to be? Yeah, sure. Um, Blemish Books, I'm, I'm one half of Blemish Books and the other half is Greg Gould. 
and um, it was a project that we started after we finished university mm. and that was about uh, seven or eight years ago yeah and um, we both studied um, literature and and, and um, creative writing at the University of Canberra and when we finished working we uh, sorry finished studying we just wanted a way to keep connected with that side of our of our interests we both um, fell into jobs that weren't necessarily very much related to literature or creative writing, so public service jobs and that sort of stuff. And, um, it's the Canberra way. Yeah, as is the Canberra way. Um, but yeah, we just wanted a way to keep involved involved with creative writing and and writers and literature and publishing and all the things that we, that we loved and that we were passionate about. So we established Blemish Books. And so um, how many books have you published so far? Uh, I think there's seven or eight titles. Oh um, right, okay, that's yeah. pretty good. That's like one title a year. Yeah, when we early on, we had we had a lot of time and we had a lot of energy for it. We were doing yep. two publications a year when we yep. first started. Yep. That slowed down a little bit lately because we had a baby, so yep. that sort of you know that Babies took out a year. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and yeah, so uh, we have. Um, a couple of publications, three publications of Triptych Poets, which is a, a collection of poetry by three different poets yep. um, in, in each, in each um, collection. Uh, we've got three novellas by Nigel Featherstone, who's a, a local author, and um, we've also done uh, a collection of essays uh, called Caught in the Breeze, and um, those were sort of creative essays um, related to... Um, the flag and how people relate to the flag and what people think about the Australian flag. I think that was oh, one of, that okay. was actually our first publication, and um, it was it was quite a sort of topical issue at that yeah. time. And then we've also done a, a collection of poetry and photography that we did quite recently, and that was um, with uh, Jen Webb and Paul Hetherington, who are academics at the University of Canberra, and um, and it was it was uh, a set of. Uh, photographs very very Canberra photographs photographs that anyone from Canberra would recognize and then um, uh, Paul Hetherington the poet kind of responded to those photographs and wrote some accompanying poetry and it was initially an art exhibition that they put on and then they approached us to turn it into a book yeah brilliant yeah Uh, so recently you might remember from the previous episode I hinted that I'd been accepted to do this program called Pulpture and so Pulpture was the brainchild of Flemish books so do you want to tell us a little bit about Pulpture? sure Pulpture um, I guess um, having had a bit of a hiatus from Flemish books um, we were coming back to it this year and doing a bit of a stock take and we had quite a bit of unsold stock Um, and some of it was just the leftover from a regular print run there was um, there were 300 copies of one of our triptych poets books Mm -hmm. that um, was actually like a duplicated print run Um, so we'd ordered 300 copies we ended up with 600 and that was sort of way way more poetry books than we could possibly move yeah and so I was just looking at all these books and thinking what can we do with them other than just put them in the recycling bin um, and I just thought it might be interesting and uh, to see if we could collaborate with some artists to turn them into art, works of art and the Noted Festival just seemed like a good opportunity to make that connection with artists yeah. and, um, and do something a bit different with them. And so because Noted is an independent 
Writers Festival. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So noted is a Canberra Independent Writers Festival. I think they call it like, the Emerging Writers Festival or something like that. Yeah. Actually, yeah. I think you're right. <laughs> the Emerging Writers um, Festival, and then they have the Independent Publishing Fair. Yes, which is part Sunday, of that. Yeah. And um, yeah. we've been involved in the Independent Publishing Fair a few times. Um, yeah. Because you had a stall this time. Yes. As well. Yeah. Blemish Books had a stall, and like publishing fairs like that are kind of one way that we we sell books. Yeah. Um, and. Um, yeah, it's it's just sort of they. I think because as a writers' festival, it's it's not very traditional. Like it's quite it's quite um, open in its interpretation of what kind of events they want to do. They're really interested in things that are interactive, and um, and I just thought it was a good a good forum to meet artists to get this project up and running and a good way to kind of um, to present it to exhibit it as well. So, what were you envisioning Pop Two would be? Um. I didn't want to have it too many, <laughs> too many preconceptions. Like yeah. I really just wanted to put these books in the hands of some artists and see what they see would what do, and yeah. um, and for that reason, I didn't want to. I didn't want to have any. I wanted to have as little direction as possible yeah. when when I gave it to them, and I think that kind of paid off. I think we had some really diverse works that came out of it. Yeah. Do you want to talk a bit about some of the works that came out? Yeah. Of some of the artists. Yeah. Sure. Um, so uh, we had. Um, Four artists, five artists. We had yourself. Yep. Um, we also had an artist called Sarah. We had a Brooke from the um, uh, ANU School of Art. Mm-hmm. There was an artist called um, Kermie Braden, and he was from uh, yep. yep, Kermie Braden. He, he was, was from, from Melbourne. Melbourne. Yeah, yep. he came up from Melbourne for the festival. And we also had Nikki Haynes, who is a um, she's a practicing artist. She also teaches at the School of Art as well. Uh-huh. And um, and yeah, there was like huge diversity. Um, uh, I'll, let's have a think. <laughs> well, while, um, while you're thinking, maybe I can just chat a bit, bit about mm, my yeah, one. Yeah, that would be great. Um, so uh, so last last episode, as I said, I did hint that I was going to be involved in this project, and so I pitched the idea as um, my book blog is tinted edges. I thought, well, what if I just paint the edges of some of these books? And so. Um, so yeah, you dropped off. Actually, it was really great. Um, Leslie dropped off a bunch of my uh, books to the street library, which is I have to say it's like I love having like that little secret thing where I can come pick stuff up. Um, I'm gonna. I think I'm just gonna. Anybody who wants to leave me anything, leave it in the street library. Leave my mail in the street library. Anyway, so um, so I had a, I had some books. I had um, the triptych ones, I think, and I had one of the uh, the collected essays. Yeah, caught in the breeze. Caught in yeah. the breeze. That's right. So. I started out with the Caught in the Breeze one. I um, I just painted the book so it followed the cover art onto the pages, and then the triptych ones. Um, I did two. I did two sets of the triptych ones. So the triptych covers are white with one is green, one is red, and one is blue. And so uh, I did one set so all three books fit together with a kind of woven pattern on the top that tried to mirror a little bit the pattern on the front. And then the other one, I did a bit of a reverse technique where I, I and after I did it, I was like, I'm sure there must have been an easier way to do this, but I got, I ended up getting a piece of twine and sort of wrapping it around the edge of the pages and then painting over the top and then pulling the twine off. Um, but the way I did it was sort of a bit gumby, a bit messy. So. <laughs> but you, I guess with that, you know, you always learn while you're doing it. And you're like, oh, I could have yeah, done it better. Yeah, oh, well. that's the process. <laughs> yeah. So now, do you want to talk a bit about Nikki's 
Rebecca? Yes, Nikki, um, Nikki Haynes. She uh, literally pulped the books. She yeah. um, she pulled off the covers. She she put them in a blender with some hot water and pulped them. Yeah, I was and I was just shocked that anybody <laughs> would be. Like just, it was really like amazing. Yeah. Somebody, somebody who would be brave enough to blend a book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was kind of thing. And um, the way she displayed it, I think her her long term project is actually to turn it back into paper. Um, and wow. yeah, and and the way that she did it is she actually cut small sections of text out and kept that separate. And the way she displayed it, she hadn't actually made the paper for the Pulpture exhibition. But the way she displayed it is that she poured the book pulp into these glass jars, and then she put the text on the edge of the on the edge of the glass, so that you could read these kind of words that appeared to be kind of looming out of this pulp, and um, and it kind of rearranged some of the themes and the ideas in the book. So it was quite an interesting thing to look at. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it was just yeah. unbelievable. She and at the noted festival, I mean, she had her blender and stuff. So yeah, I thought she was yeah. going to blend books. Yeah, 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 yeah. She, well, she, I think she was. She was yeah. sort of. Um, she set herself up with the um, with the blender and the books, and um, I think she was going to invite some people to come and tear up books and blend them with yeah. her because um, it's that kind of festival where you can do that yeah. kind of stuff and it feels like it does feel a bit naughty yeah. um, I, I spoke with someone on a previous episode about uh, I think I've, I've like come to terms with it a little bit but she was talking about how at the Lifeline Book Fair um, they often get books that they just can't sell because you know they're mouldy or they're too old or they're falling apart and stuff yeah. like that and um, so they have to recycle them, you know, they just have to put them in the recycle bin. But they don't like to tell people that because they don't want people not to donate books. Because th- there's something quite, like, abhorrent about ruining mm. a book, you know. That yeah. I think for a lot of people, books are quite a sacred object. And so yeah. this kind of, I mean, because the ones I was painting, I mean, you ca- they're unusable. Like, they're painted shut. Yeah, they, they look fine on the outside, but if you tried to open them, it yeah, tear them. You couldn't tear them to pieces. Yeah, yeah. I think I think you've hit on like part of what motivated me to do Pulpture was that kind of sense of these books. Um, you know, people have that sense about books in general, but I think particularly with these books, because we were so invested in their production yeah, and yeah. they represent something that we had a lot of. Um, you know, these are this is writing that we really loved, and that's why we yeah. wanted to publish it, and. Um, and you know the thought of I think I think it was just a way of, of of celebrating what we'd achieved while still acknowledging we're not going to be able to sell these books we can't we can't move them in the in the normal way yep. so what else can we do that that um, that celebrates what we did celebrates what the what the writers achieved as well and um, and it's just a bit a bit of a, a happier ending than than the recycling bin yeah. So do you wanna, yeah. um, now who did the birds and the bees one? The birds and the bees that was by Brooke McEachin, and yep. she was the ANU um, art student. And um, I think her her preoccupation or her, her concern with with the artwork was around uh, like ecological impacts yeah, and okay. waste. And she chose the birds and the bees because of their role in pollination. Okay, and not their role in sex education. No, <laughs> no, yeah, no. I think she was just talking about like environmental impacts and, yeah. and, um, and I guess that these books are made of paper and paper comes from trees and that these animals have a role in the reproduction of those trees. Yeah. Um, and so it's all kind of connected in that way. And so what she did with her artwork is she um, she pulled uh, a bunch of pages out. She took the poetry books because she liked the way the text 
sat on the page because yeah. you know unlike prose where it kind of fills the whole page it was um, it had a sort of a different uh, pattern to it yeah. and um, she took them out she laid them sort of in a, in a grid shape so sort of like four by four square and then on top of that she drew she used charcoal to draw um, these images one of, of, a, of a dead bird and the other one of a dead bee and um, yeah I yeah. didn't pick up that they were dead yeah, that's the optimist um, in me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were. I actually, I, I, I do know that because I, I went to her studio and oh. I could see the picture that she worked from, yeah, and it was, yeah. it was clearly a dead. <laughs> but I, um, I think that was kind of the message that the artworks. She, she gave them to me because they were on these separate bits of paper. I ended up mounting them on some boxes that were. Um, they were the boxes that they delivered the pulpture, the, the, the books to us from yeah. the printer. Um, and I had this moment, I, she, so she gave me the, the artworks just mounted on butcher's paper and said, you, you have to put it on a proper backing. And I actually was standing in office works trying to find something for backing. And then I went, what am I doing? Like the whole point of this artwork is about is about waste and about recycling yeah, and yeah. about you know making Re use of the materials yeah. that you have. So I walked out of Office Works without having bought anything, and I and I found those boxes and I flattened them out and I mounted the artwork oh, on that. Brilliant. Yeah, and it, they were two. They were very big. They were like easily like a meter by a meter. The, yeah, the they two were the artworks. biggest pieces. Yeah, yeah, and quite, um, yeah. quite striking. Yep. Yeah. And um, so now, someone had done kind of a little bit of a. Not quite a graphic novel, but almost like a bit of an illustrated yeah. red story. Yes, that was Kermie. Yeah. Um, so Kermie Braden, um, he his was quite an interactive um, piece. I'll, I'll send you the link to his website because what he did was um, basically drew animations on the paper so that if you if you flick through the book really fast, you actually have moving images. Oh, right. Yeah, okay. yeah. so that's how they, they featured. And they were line drawings, like sort of ink drawings, and he coloured them with highlighter and then um, did a, a, a thing with the image where you, you make black, white, and white, black. I don't know yep. what that's called. You sort of reverse the, the, the um, light in it. In invert? Invert, yeah, something like that. So yeah, all the, all the yeah. white space becomes black space, and the black space becomes white space, and it actually had this really interesting effect on the highlighter colours. So you've oh. just got these really, really interesting um, images with these unusual colours, and they're they're just little moving moving um, pictures. Um, yeah. And so at the exhibition that we had uh, with Noted, the actual books were there, and you could flick through them yourself. But um, he's also he's also made those animations into animations that are online. Oh, so you can see yeah, them online. Yeah, so you can All see right. them online. Well, I'll put links yeah. to that in the show notes so everybody yeah. can have a look. Yeah, it's, it's definitely well worth well worth a look. Yeah. Um, he also accompanied it with a, um, uh, a, a, some poetry that he'd written, oh, um, and it right. was it was sort of his reflections. And he's travelling from Anamitabi to Canberra in yeah. a, in a car, and it's sort of his reflections on these kind of interim spaces around. Canberra and, and getting into the ACT but not quite being in the ACT yeah, it's actually yeah. very beautiful stuff and um, so definitely yeah if anyone has a few minutes to spare to go and check that out yeah that sounds brilliant so um, now the the exhibition was not a it wasn't first at noted it was down at the Tabernacle Arts Centre yeah do you want to talk um, a bit about that space yeah I'll just talk about Sarah's oh yes yeah, yeah, no, no, there, no, there, there was one more there was one more yeah um, 
So Sarah, um, she, again, what I found, because we had the essay book and the poetry books, and those yep. were the books that were used for publisher, and there's definitely a, a, an inclination on the part of the artist to use the poetry books, and I think that had to do with the way the poetry looks on the page and, yeah. and that sort of stuff. And she did the same thing, so she engaged with the poetry books, and she, she took um, the design image on the front of the poetry books and um, kind of joined it up and made these little paper cranes that That's went on a bit quite, of a journey yeah. through this through the images on the front cover. So it was quite um, it was sort of a little three D thing, and it just looked like these little paper cranes were um, swimming along these trajectories. That, that and the, the overall design was taken from the cover of, of the Triptych Poets mm. series. Yeah, so that was how she yeah. engaged with it. <laughs> Completely forgotten about the cranes, so I'll, yeah. I'll put links to all the photos so you can have yeah, a look great. at, at what, what it all looked like for yourself. Um, and so, yeah, so it was originally down at the Tuggernaut Art yes, Centre. Yes, um, that was also part of Noted. Um, Noted went for for the whole week, yep. and um, and for the first um, four or five days, we had the Tuggeranong Arts Centre Hyperdome space. Yep. So there's the Tuggeranong Hyperdome down in Tuggeranong and one of the shop fronts is actually empty and, it, and it's rented out by the Arts Centre down there and we had access to that for the first four days. So um, I set up the artworks in the window of that space so that people walking in and out of the, um, in and out of the, uh, super, uh, the mall could have a look at. Yeah, we so doing. when you're walking in through that mm. door, it would be the first thing that people would yeah, see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, and I think that was just a nice way to kind of prolong the ex exhibition. Yeah. Um, and then the final exhibition we held at the Independent Publishing Fair. Yeah. Um, and that's where we put everything on display in one of the rooms at the Gorman House Art Centre. Yes, and that's where you had your... That's your where I had uh, my workshop with workshop. all the kids. Yeah. yeah, so I'll just chat a bit about that. So um, Leslie asked me if I wanted to maybe do something a little bit more interactive and we we threw around some ideas and we, we ended up settling on doing a kids workshop at the publishing fair on the Sunday of Noted Festival. And so, um, you know, I, I, I did quite like this idea of being a bit naughty and painting on books and so um, we decided yeah, we, we thought about doing something for adults as well as kids, but I think we thought that we'd probably get yeah. the best impact with the kids. And it, and it was true. Like, the kids just loved it. Like, yeah. I just gave them... I just set up different coloured paints. Um, I, I was a bit more hardline at the beginning. Like, if you have a blue book, you use blue paint. Um, just because I didn't want to mix them all, all the colours together. Cause I, and I'd say to some of the older ones, I'd be like, do you know what colour you get if you mix red, blue and green and they'd be like brown and I was like do you want brown on your book and they'd be like no <laughs> I'm like okay and so I'd say to them as well now you're painting books here but this is very special do you paint books at home and they'd be like no I'm like okay good so I didn't want to get didn't want parents coming and yelling at me because their kids had all of a sudden started to decorate all the books in the house <laughs> um, yeah. but yeah it was great we, and I have to yeah I think uh, Leslie and I were just chatting before but you know, kids are so brave about getting involved with that yeah. kind of things, and I even found like the younger the kids, the happier they were to just go straight into it. And um, I'd pre-prepared the books to put uh, newspaper over the covers, so they'd paint all over the pages, and then you'd take off the newspaper and sort of unwrap this book, and it would be pristine on the cover, but have like really quite striking decorations on the yeah. edges. And yeah, yeah, I think I th they really liked it. I think so too. I think kids, kids are naturally drawn to that kind of stuff, and I think you're right in that, like they like 
that crafty stuff they're so willing to get involved when those yeah. opportunities yeah. are around but also I think you're right it's like the naughtiness of being able to put paint or, or on something that they would be f- prohibited from doing if yeah, they're at home or at school prohibited. or at the library yeah. or whatever so I think that's probably also why it really appealed to them yeah yeah, yeah it was just a whirlwind of an afternoon it, it yeah. just felt like it went by straight away and so and yeah. so you ran your stall on that weekend as yes. well yeah we, yep. we had a blemish book stall at the independent publishing fair and yep. um and that was great um again because we've been on this sort of you know, child rearing hiatus. Um, it was kind of good to get back out there and have the stall. We haven't put a, put a stall on um, in a little while. Yeah. Um, earlier, like you know, a few years ago, we we used to do it much more regularly, and we we would go down to the Tina Festival in Newcastle and have a stall at their fair oh, yeah. and things like that. Um, so it was good just to kind of get back out there and get sort of uh, active again. I think. Yeah. Mm. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Leslie. That was great. You're welcome. Thank you. I read six books throughout the month of May, and I'll just quickly touch on some of the more interesting ones. Intrigued after finding out that it had been turned into a TV series with Nicole Kidman, I thought I'd give Big Little Liars a crack. I had very low expectations, but I was pleasantly surprised. It's been a while since I've read a funny book, and I enjoyed the catty, gossipy structure, and I was quite impressed with how Leanne Moriarty dealt with more serious issues like domestic violence. The standout, though, had to be Do Not Say We Have Nothing by Madeleine Tien, which was a wonderfully moving story about a family in China uh, ranging from the the late 1940s all the way up until Tiananmen Square in the 1980s, and I would highly, highly recommend this one. I read The Bluest Eye by Toni Morrison, which is my first of Morrison's books and actually her first novel. Her writing is excellent, but the story I found to be quite disjointed. Um, and I'm, ex- I'm intrigued to read some of her later books to see how they compare. All right, readers, that's it from me. Thanks for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode in July. <laughs>